0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Happy Sabbath. Thank you. Let's begin class with prayer this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity together to study, to see you. We pray that your spirit, your angels will join us today. Lord, we want to remember the, the Knoppers and the family as they're grieving the loss of Antoinette, that your mercies will be with them and you will comfort them and they will be able to see past the pain to the vision of your coming again. We can all join together. Lord, we've been asked to pray for George Taylor today, who's a 90-year-old gentleman who's fractured his hip this week in the hospital. We pray that your healing hand will be upon him in, in accordance with your will. And we ask that you will be with the members of the class that are traveling this week, those who are out and abroad, that you will watch over and let them be lights for you in this world, wherever they might be. We pray in your holy name. Amen. And we are doing lesson number six in our quarterly, Loved and Loving, John's Epistles. And the lesson title this week is Walking in the Light, Rejecting Antichrist." Somebody read for us the, the uh, memory text there. 1 John two twenty three. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. What do you think it means? Does this mean only people who accept Jesus can be saved? If you met a person, let's say at work, a, a Buddhist, a, a coworker, and the person at work who's Buddhist told you that they've heard about Jesus but they reject him, can that person be saved in that state? Not in that state. Mm, I hear some no's. Do you think it might be good to say, Tell me about the Jesus that you reject? Yeah. This lesson this week is on Antichrist. Is it possible that the only Christ that this person's ever heard is one of the false messiahs, the false Christ? The Antichrist means those who would take Christ's place or oppose Christ. So if the person rejects Jesus because the only Jesus they've ever heard is the false Messiah, would they still be rejecting God? No. No. So should we ask at least first, hey, tell me about the Jesus that you, you don't don't accept? Should we ask that question? <laughs> Hmm. Does it mean that someone has to come to a knowledge of Jesus in order to come to the knowledge of the Father? Or can someone have the knowledge of the Father without knowing who Jesus is? Does it mean that the knowledge of the Father comes through Jesus so that anyone who comes to the knowledge of the Father only achieve that through Jesus even if they haven't even heard of Jesus? That confuse you okay um, did the people in Old Testament times that were saved did they come to a knowledge of God? those who were saved like enoch let's say or elijah let 's say yes who was the God in the Old Testament that they were interacting with, which member of the Godhead well, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians ten one through 4. Paul gives us some insight. He says, For I do not want you to be ignorant about the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. So according to Paul, who was in the cloud? Who was the rock? Jesus. Jesus. So even those who didn't know the name Jesus, like those in the Old Testament times, who was the member of the Godhead through which they were learning about God? Jesus. Yes. And this is what you're going to find, that Jesus is the member of the Godhead through which, in fact, can we learn about God through nature? Does the Bible teach us that? Yes. Romans one twenty that God's divine power uh, and eternal nature is seen in what he has made so that men are without excuse. Nature reveals things about God. What does the Bible teach in regard to which member of the Godhead nature was made? Jesus Christ. All things were made by him and through him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So if we learn through God through nature, who is the author of nature on least planet earth? Jesus. So we're still learning about God through Jesus. So do you think Paul, uh, John is saying here that you have to come to an actual knowledge of Jesus Christ or that when you come to a knowledge of God, it's always through Jesus, whether you know it or not? Well, keep that in mind as we continue on. So is it, is it Christ who has written in God's law in our hearts and minds? Or is it God or, is it the, Holy or is it well, the Holy Spirit? Well, um, all three of them work together but which member of the Godhead was it that they were working through? It says all the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus in bodily form. So all fullness there was in Jesus working through Jesus. So Jesus was the instrument through which the Godhead was working on planet Earth. Yes?
1: Didn't Joseph
0: say that he was made by the Holy Spirit? Yeah, the, the Holy Spirit and uh, says in... Um, Regarding the child that was born in Isaiah, for unto us a child is born, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. counselor. Who's the Counselor? The
1: Holy,
0: the Holy Spirit. A mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Um, the Holy Spirit was definitely active in Old Testament times. Uh, in Psalms 51, David prays, take not your spirit from me. It says the spirit moved on the face of the deep in Genesis chapter 1. So all three of them are always involved, but the scripture says that it was through Christ that was the instrument through which the Godhead acted to bring creation about on planet Earth, according to the New Testament. you all familiar with those texts? Yes? No? Yeah. Is is God primarily concerned then in this text, and some have said, that he's primarily concerned with the name we use when we worship him? Is he concerned about that? You know what I mean by the name? For instance, if somebody worships God and they call the God they worship Buddha, is God concerned about that?
1: No, not that kind of name. <laughs> he's, not into, he, he's not worried about whether it's, you know, the physical letters that we put together to make
0: them. What do you all think? The, the actual label, the letters we use, are they important? Not important. Well, what names have we heard attributed to God. What names? Not not the what we would consider pagan gods, but the true God. What names have you heard attributed to him?
1: Yeah.
0: Well, okay, let's let's write these on the board. We're going to we're going to write the board today. <laughs> Yahweh. It's pronounced Yo- Yova. Yova. That's how it's pronounced. Um, in Latin it's IWHW. The German translated that to J H W H, which we get Jehovah. Jehovah. That's right. It's pronounced up Appears 6,800 times in the Bible. Typically translated in your Bibles if you read the Bible to translate as Lord. Ka- all capitals usually. All capitals in, K- in King James. Any other names you can think besides this? Elohim. Elohim. Okay. Elohim. Alrighty.
1: righty. How should I?
0: El Shaddai okay there we go El Shaddai others I am okay I am which is I Asher Aha that's what that is We'll, we'll put that up here which is translated I am that I am just El Hashem have you heard of Hashem? Hashem, the Hebrew people or Jewish people will use this means the name because they don't want to say any of these so they will say Hashem it's just the name Um, oh and Yah and down at the bottom El Elyon now Elyon means supreme, supreme court, most high when you see translated most high God most high it would be El Elyon uh, God most high Would you think that these names would have any special reverence compared to other names we might use? See some heads nodding? I mean, would these names be better to use than say Buddha? Baal? Oh, what about Adonai? Have you heard of Adonai? Yes. Okay, let's put Adonai up here. Adonai. And Adonai, by the way, translates as Lord, and it's substituted for Yahweh. The Jewish people read the scriptures and they come Yahweh, they'll say Adonai. Let's see here. Adonai.
1: What about Allah?
0: Allah. What about Allah? There's another one. Would you like these names better than those names? Zeus? (laughs) Thor? Ra? Yes.
1: We ascribe certain characteristics to those names that we do not ascribe to these names.
0: Do you think God would prefer to be called one of these names rather than praying to Neptune? You think so? Well, Adonai actually is where we get the name Adonis. Anybody heard of Adonis? It's the Greek god, Adonis. It was also used, Adonai, in the time of the Hebrew people in the Old Testament. It was used by the Phoenicians for their god, Tammuz. So Tammuz was also called Adonai. But our god was called Adonai. Does that trouble you? Tammuz, the god of the Phoenicians. Adonai. Hmm. Um, El... The word El here just means deity, and it was applied to all the different gods of the of the ancient world. They would call all the different gods El, as we use the word God for our God or for false gods, it just means God. Elohim. Now that's one really should be special, shouldn't it? Elohim. In Exodus 23, the commandment: thou shalt have no other Elohim before me. Now, God wrote that one. And yet, he's not referring to himself. He's referring to the false gods, Elohim. Isn't that interesting? Yet, we used Elohim to refer to him. Do you think it matters? Elion, used to attribute uh, to God, which means supreme or most high. is also used by the Phoenicians for their gods. Shaddai. Now, that's got to be one. El Shaddai. Shaddai and El Shaddai. That has to be a good one, right? Well, it's got two roots. One is from the Hebrew S-A-D, S-A-D, uh for breast, and means the, the one of the breast, and it was for some female fertility goddesses. And it's also derived from Shadu, the mountain, or Shadeu, the mountain dweller, one of the names of Amaru, a Semitic shepherd god, son of the sky god Anu, and sometimes called Bel-Sedai, or bel Sidi, which is the name of the fertility god Baal. El Shaddai. Hmm. And then Yah, which is the first part of Yahweh, is the Rastafarian god, Jah. That's where they get Jah, J-A-H, for the Rastafarian god. So what do you think? When you hear all these words that we attribute such specialness to, and you discover that most of them are used for pagan gods. Well, there's a lot of silence all of a sudden. Yes.
1: What you're thinking of when you use that name. What, like you said, what are you ascribing to that person, that God?
0: The question we should be asking, does God get offended or disturbed by the label or name we use when we pray to Him? He does?
1: I spent a couple months in Italy for educational purposes and when I was there they could not pronounce my name. So they gave me a different name.
0: Now, I was not offended, but I like my name better. <laughs> and, and are you suggesting that we should look at you to model how God prefers things? <laughs> I mean, I'm just you know, thinking, I, I would probably feel the same way you do, but I remember that I'm infected with selfishness, and God's not. So I wonder if my motive would be the same as his.
1: I think you have to remember who came first. God goes first, and then it's just like when something comes out with a brand name and something else comes out after it, it's like it might have similar like, spelling or something, but it's like you're copying the original. So I think that you remember God came first and he was there, and I mean, people started naming
0: gods after that. So. Do you think that, um, so you're saying that these false gods were named after the, the true God?
1: You know, I mean, every other brand. You, you call it a Kleenex, you know, that there's only one brand of Kleenex, in tissue paper that comes after that. I mean, I think it's kind of the same. God was there first, but then we made other gods in place of him. So I think that he had names for him, and then other people had gods and would name them after them. That's kind of...
0: it, there's some possibilities to that, yeah, yeah.
1: Exodus 20, verse 7: thou shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain.
0: Yeah, and what do you think that means? Does that mean that the, when it says the name, is we talking about the word that we use when we talk about God? So when people curse and use, you know, J- Jesus' name in a curse, are they taking his name in vain? Is that what it means? Or is taking his name in vain meaning taking Christian upon your life and calling yourself Christian, and then they live like a non-Christian? Which is the one that's really taking his name in vain? Even though they never curse. Yes. See, the, the point I'm getting at and driving at here, do you really think that God in heaven and the angels who worship Him speak Hebrew?
1: Yeah.
0: Or English? Or any earthly language that we speak? And in fact, doesn't Revelation say that He has a name that no one knows? His true name. The actual syllables that we use to address him are not what's important. What's important? When we think about name. Remember in Hebrew culture, name always connoted character. That's the issue when we think about the name. We have to think about the character of the one. And so we ask the question. So we have somebody you're visiting somewhere and they say, well, I don't believe in Jesus ask him. or oh, I don't believe in God. I have this commonly in my practice. I don't believe in God. Okay, tell me about the God you don't believe in. And as they describe him, I go, good for you. I don't believe in him either. That God shouldn't be believed in. Because it will describe some horrendous... Uh, deity of, of an ugly nature and who doesn't care. He's not loving. He's cruel. tyrant doesn't care when kids are abused and so forth and so on. You'll find this description that people attribute to God. Are there many ugly pictures of God circulating, even Jesus circulating? Yes. Yes. And what is our lesson on today? Antichrist. Those who would take the name of Christ but misrepresent him. And so I, I think the point here is God is not so primarily concerned with a with a human syllable we attach to His worship. He's primarily concerned that we see Him for who He is. Do you agree or disagree? Agree. I see some uncertainties in, in the um, in the lesson. I've also listed a whole page worth of uh, of other names given to God in Scripture, and you can look at those when you get the notes um, that uh, that are less. the the, the ones I listed here are the ones considered most holy, the the most revered names of God in scripture there's a whole lot of other ones less revered um, listed in scripture as well and I've got a whole list of those in the notes for today Sunday's lesson talks about the last hour what do you think John meant when he used this language the last hour what does the last hour mean? the end of of time and that was 2,000 years ago Some would say if that's what he meant, well, he wasn't very inspired, was he? What do you all think? The last hour. This is the last hour.
1: The last era of time.
0: The last era of time. And and, and break that down. Last era in in what context? The great controversy. In the great controversy. So the great controversy between Christ and Satan started where? In In heaven. In heaven. And that was, the, I guess, the, the first hour, the first hour of the conflict. And then it spread to earth, Adam and Eve fell, and, and we have the middle era, era, and then we have Christ coming. Now, in this controversy between Christ and Satan, in order for God to win, was it necessary that Christ come? Yes. Until Christ came, completed his mission, lived his life, died on the cross, rose again, was the, was the issue open still? as far as what might happen. Once Christ finishes mission, though, was what was necessary to bring an end to sin done? So we've moved past that. Now we're in the the final phase, the mopping up phase, the application phase of all that Christ has done. This is the last part. The last thing to be done before it's all done is applying what Christ has achieved in the lives of people on earth. That's the last hour, the last step, the last point. That's what I think uh, John is saying here. What do you think? Somebody read the last paragraph, beginning, what's important to notice.
1: What's important to notice, however, is that John does not set a date, nor does he describe a precise chronology of detailed events that must take place before the Lord would come. That's not his point. His point, instead, has to do most likely with the need to be diligent and careful because false teachers are out there just as Jesus
0: himself had warned about. And what do you think about the emphasis here? That John didn't date set and put, and draw up a chronological calendar of events and, and a, a diagram that runs across the whole length of the, of the stage up here with all the little events happening through time. Um, what do you think about that? Do you think that, that J- John missed it or was John on the money here? Do you like those little graphs, charts, and date setting and things? We, we kind of grew up on those, didn't we? Yeah. See a lot of heads? Yes, don't take my charts from me. <laughs> okay, just keep that in mind, though. The most important thing isn't that we can draw out the graphs. The most important thing is that we've come to love like God loves. And the emphasis of John's epistles are that we have come to know God through Jesus and have a heart like God's to love others more than self. That is the heart, that's the message here. And then the other stuff is secondary. If you have the right dates, but your heart is, you know, let's say, you know, Satan studies the prophecies and he can predict all the dates and the events to come. It doesn't do him much good, does it? Predicting the dates don't do any good if our hearts aren't changed. The issue is is heart transformation. All right, the last, the green section at the bottom. Somebody read that for us. If John was impressed back then to warn about the perils
1: of the last hour, what about us today? What kinds of teachings are we daily confronted with, both within and without the church, that if accepted would lead us astray? How can we protect ourselves from these deceptions?
0: Oh, boy, does that just open it wide open for us? <laughs> and as I was reading, I just have to share something I came across in my research for my latest project that I'm working on. This Have you ever heard of Evolution Sunday? started in 2006. Evangelical Christians celebrating the birth of Charles Darwin and the teaching of evolution. It's, uh, it's an annual event now that happens near the closest weekend to Charles Darwin's birthday each year. And this year, in 2009, there were over 700 churches in America participating in Evolution Sunday. This is a news report of the initial event in 2006 when there were only 450 churches involved. But here's what the news report says. Nearly 450 Christian churches in the United States yesterday celebrated the 197th birthday of Charles Darwin. The churches say Darwin's theory of biologic evolution is compatible with faith and that Christians have no need to choose between religion and science. Some churches sang praises for tall, boiling test tubes in classrooms and labs. Many churches held adult education and Sunday school classes on evolution, and ministers preached that followers of Christ do not have to choose between Bible stories of creation and evolution. A variety of denominational and non-denominational churches, including Methodist, Lutheran, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Unitarian, Congregationalist, United Church of Christ, Baptist, and a host of community churches participated in the event. More than 10,000 Christian ministers signed a letter urging school boards across the country to preserve the integrity of science curriculum by affirming the teaching of the theory of evolution as the core component of human knowledge. What do y'all think? Weren't you glad to see Seventh-day Adventists weren't on that list? (laughs) I was like, whew, man. We'd have some serious problems of man if we were on that list, wouldn't we? Yeah. Do we need to guard against attacks today? What are the implications if we should suggest that God created on planet Earth through the evolutionary process? What are the implications?
1: Well,
0: no need okay, number, no need for Christ to come because we're going to evolve. Okay, what else? Does away
1: with the
0: Sabbath? Does away with the Sabbath? She says yes. If God
1: used death and dying once, He'll use it
0: again. Okay, now we're getting to the heart of it. If, you're, if you use death and dying, you see, what is the underlying engine according to evolutionary theory that drives adaptation and, and evolution? What is the engine that drives it? Survival of the fittest Understand, survival of the fittest is kill or be killed Watch out for number one Me first, you second Whose government does that sound like? That's Satan's government, okay? And so this whole idea of moving people away from the Bible account of creation towards an evolutionary model is actually an attack on the character of God, and is suggesting and investing God with the very attributes of Satan, so they will teach that God will use principles of survival of the fittest, power over, me first, in order to get his agenda, which is setting up Christians to accept the false coming as Christ when Satan impersonates him, and they will accept him, because he will practice the very methods that they Teach survival of the fittest. You see the danger here? It's, it's incredible ugliness and it's unbelievable that, but you can only accept this type of teaching if you don't know God.
1: It's very subtle.
0: Very subtle. Yeah, well, it's very subtle, yeah, because it, it almost seems almost rational. And let's be clear, we're not talking about adaptation here. God created His creatures to adapt. Adaptation is that we have the ability to develop, to change, to transform, due to the experiences we go through in life. That's adaptation. That is not however one species developing over time into another species. This adaptation occurs within species, and and we certainly have the ability to do that, and it's evidence of God's creative power. Yes? I think the
1: subtlety is, the subtleness uh, about that is because we see survival of the every day. We see it in, in practice, and so it would be easy to say, well, we see it now, therefore it must, must be responsible for how we got here. But that distinction is important
0: to make. Yeah, and we do see it every day. And why do we see it every day?
1: Because we live in a sinful world.
0: Because God's creation. See, the survival of the fittest principle is actually the infection which is destroying God's creation. It is the principle of death. When Paul talks about the law of sin and death... He's talking about survival of the fittest. When he talks about all nature groans under the weight of sin, he's talking about survival of the fittest. It is the actual principle that destroys. And the only reason life is not destroyed on this planet is because God, as soon as man fell into sin, as soon as the survival of the fittest principle took over, God began intercession. God began restraining, holding back the principalities and powers of darkness. God intervened in the hearts of men, Genesis chapter 3, putting a desire for good, putting enmity between the the woman, mankind. And the, and the serpent. And, and so if a God wasn't interceding to hold in check the survival of the fittest principle, life on planet would have already been destroyed. That's the only reason why you see adaptation occurring. Yes?
1: I think it's in it's 25 words or less as you would say, it was so stark that as soon as the survival of the fittest took over, God implemented his plan that said, no. You understand that you'll survive at all costs, whether it means killing something else, taking over something else, you will survive at all costs. My plan is in stark contrast to that. You will survive at
0: all costs to me. Yeah, and if you think about the principle here, what Christ taught, take that. Take some Bible text. Those who seek to save their life will. Those who lose their life for my sake will. Find it or save it. I mean, uh, God's principle is just the opposite of the survival of the fittest. Greater love is no man that he give his life for a friend. This is how we know what love is, that Christ gave his life for us and we ought to give our lives for our brothers. You see, the survival of the fittest principle which says, hey, I have a right to protect myself and kill you to make sure that I have food for myself and my kids. That's Satan's principle. It brings only death. But the, and, and you look at the Old Testament. Remember the famine, Elijah? And he goes to visit was it the Shunammite woman? How much food did she have? What did she do with it? She gave it. And in giving, what happened? She received. What would the natural human instinct be? Mothers, you have a child, you have enough for one meal. You're going to give it to the stranger, you're going to protect it and give it to your kid. Oh, see, that's, well, that's really easier when we're looking at in the Bible to read it than we bring it home, isn't it? <laughs> this inherent desire to protect self and promote self is deeply rooted, and it destroys. This is what Christ wants to overcome in us. He wants to write the law of love in our hearts. We love others more than self. Yes?
1: What do you say to the, the comment that it served the purposes of the community? Uh, there was a loving, There was a fitness that was provided by caring for others, which provided for survival of that community. So that um, survival of fittest does not necessarily mean me first, me second. It could be me
0: as in a community. Yeah, and ultimately what happens with those communities? What do those communities end up doing when they meet another community? When that community that's sacrificing for itself, let's say, to help each other, meets another community that's sacrificing for itself to help each other, over a water hole in the desert, what happens? Go to war. <laughs> to war. They go to war, and they kill each other.
1: So perhaps the more evolved community would be one that recognizes the universality of man.
0: Yeah, and do we have a community like that on Earth?
1: It's called Christian.
0: Evolved or regenerated? Regenerated. It's different. You see, we have a base instinct, and if you want to feel that instinct, ask how you would respond if somebody's holding your head underwater.
1: water. Mm-hmm.
0: And you have a knife in your hand. As the seconds go by, and the pressure builds, what are you going to do? Survive. But how about if the person holding your head underwater is your child?
1: Still survive.
0: Maybe. Maybe you don't. But the love for the child suddenly puts another aspect in there, doesn't it? And that love is not natural to the human heart. That love is a gift from God. Romans 5, 5, he pours his love into our hearts. So even in a community today where you do see a willingness to love each other, it's only because the Holy Spirit is working in that community in their hearts. If you remove the influence of the Holy Spirit from human hearts, you will not find a community that actually works on love. You may find a community that externally looks like it's cooperating, but it's always going to be on base motives for self, looking out for self, cooperating to get self ahead, and looking for an advantage at any time for somebody internally to take over the leadership role in this constant infight. Look at uh, some of the communist governments and the dictatorial governments where things on the outside appear to run smooth for a while. But it's never really smooth and never really benefits people because the nature of man is self-centered and will always end up with self-destruction. So even when we do find love, it's only because God is working in the heart. Good questions, though. Very good questions. Monday's lesson. Who is the Antichrist?
1: Who is the Antichrist?
0: Who is Antichrist?
1: Anyone who is against Christ.
0: Yeah, ultimately, of course, Satan is the original Antichrist, right? He opposed him in heaven, opposed him on earth. But there are many people that do his bidding and take on that role here on earth. John was fighting a particular kind of heresy in his day, known as Gnosticism. When he talks about Antichrist in his day, Gnosticism. And there are two primary types of Gnosticism, Docetism and Cerinthianism. And the Gnostics, basically, were the pursuit of knowledge. And these two religions taught two falsehoods about Christ. The Docetists denied Christ actually became a human and claimed he only appeared to have a human body, or to come in human form. But he actually didn't. The Corinthianism, from a guy named Corinthus, a contemporary of John, claimed that Jesus was born naturally from the union of Mary and Joseph, a regular human like you and me, and at his baptism, when the Holy Spirit came down, the Messiah, or the Son of God, entered this body of a normal human, and lived in his body for three and a half years doing his ministry, and exited just before the crucifixion. John aggressively attacks these two heresies, calling those who promote them antichrists. Now, tell me, what would the problem be with the Gnostic Gospels here, these Gnostic versions? Let's take them one at a time. And, And the question is, if true, why would they fail to provide salvation? First, let's take the Docetist model, which says that he only appeared as a human. He actually didn't become human. Why would that not suffice? If we have a legal model that says the problem is the law of God got broken we all stand under a condemned penalty from the divine sovereign and a perfect son of God must come and die in our place as our substitute to pay our legal debt. Does the docetist model fulfill that? Yes, it does. He came and he died. Appearing as a human, not human, but he still did come and die. The penalty has been paid. The docetist model meets the legal demands. But it still doesn't provide salvation. Why? Doesn't have a remedy. Doesn't have a remedy. Okay? Does everybody know what he means by that?
1: He could not have experienced every temptation like
0: we He couldn't have experienced temptation like us. And if he can't experience temptation like us, what can he do? He can't overcome it. He can't overcome it. Like us. In the human brain. And what would be the problem with that if he couldn't do that? What's the problem? Why, why, Why was that necessary? What was the issue? God's law can't be It can't be obeyed. It's contradictory to uh, the real law of the universe, according to Lucifer. Multiple, yes, multiple issues here. Which member of the Godhead created humanity according to Scripture? Jesus Christ. And when mankind fell into sin, what's a new allegation now that comes against the designer? If you guys buy a vehicle and that vehicle is a lemon, what do you all do? What do you claim? Manufacturer's defect, right? It was faulty from the source. Do you think that once man fell into sin, there was an allegation that Christ isn't perfect because he doesn't create perfect things? This was faulty from the source. Mankind was faulty in its design. And that goes back to the designer. Christ is faulty. Do you think that was part of the allegations that came? Could Christ clear that up? outside a human experience, a real human experience. But as a human being, when he lived his perfect life, wasn't one of the things, many things done, but one of the things, there was nothing wrong with my design. My design was fine. My creation of mankind was perfect. There's no defect here. One of the allegations, well, there's something wrong with God's law. God's law can't be kept. The law of love is imperfect. It can't be kept, oh, it can be kept by God, but it can't be kept by creatures created by God. Did that get cleared up by Christ? Yeah. Could that have been cleared up if he had never come as a human? No. It says in Isaiah that he took our infirmities, our iniquities upon himself. Could he have done that if he never came as a human? No. You see, and if he never did that, then he couldn't have been tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin. He couldn't have destroyed Second Timothy 1:10. What did he destroy? Death. Death. He couldn't have destroyed death. Also, 1 John 3, 8, he destroyed the devil's work. What is the devil's work? What has the devil been working to do on planet Earth?
1: Separate man. Get people to
0: believe a All these things are true. Separate man, get people to believe a lie, in order to efface the image of God in man and put Satan's image in this creation. That's what Satan has been working to do. Make us not look like God and reveal God to the universe, but make us look like Satan. That's what he's been trying to do. First John 3.8, Christ destroyed the devil's work. Could he have done that if he didn't become human? There's multiple layers here. If the Corinthian model was right, that he in, came down at the time of the baptism and indwelled this human being, Jesus, and then left right before the crucifixion, what would be the problem with that? <laughs> Cowardice, he says. Cowardice. See what do we learn about a God who would do that? Willing to sacrifice His creatures to protect Himself. Does our God sacrifice us to protect Him? No. No. What would you think about a parent who would sacrifice their kids to protect themselves? Would you esteem and look up to that parent? Would you trust your kids to babysit your, this parent to babysit your kids? <laughs> No. What do we think about a God who would do that? See, the character of Satan. And these are what these doctrines are doing. They were direct attacks on God's very character again. To distort and twist God. And they're subtle because they don't come at it directly saying God is a bad person. They subtly imply it by alleging he came in this way or he came in that way. And then the meaning, the consequential meaning of that is ugly things about God. This is not Satan attacks. Try to get us to believe something that has a secondary meaning that attacks and undermines God's character. Christ came to visit Abraham in the Old Testament. He came in human form. Remember? even ate. But was he part of our nature then? No. No. It was when he was born of a woman that he partook of our nature. Tuesday's lesson, first paragraph. In 1
1: John 4, 1-6, John picks up again a thing that he's dealing with In 1 John 218 18-27, the erroneous teaching was being promulgated among them. How interesting that, that so soon, among the church, the beginning was working, seeking to divide the believers through the introduction of false teaching. Even today, do we as Adventists not struggle with the same thing, false teaching that divide us?
0: (laughs) Oh, man. Now, that door just got swung a little wider, didn't it? Can you all think of any? I I got a list. Do you want, you want to throw out your list? What false teachings are circulating in the Adventist church that are dividing us?
1: God of fear. punishes the wicked.
0: God punishes the wicked. What else?
1: The fear gospel.
0: The fear gospel. I'll give you a list. How about that? And, and you pick the ones, after I give you this list, you pick the ones you want to explore further. God executed his son on the cross. Jesus died to pay our legal debt. God requires appeasement or propitiation. Atonement is Jesus shedding his blood to take away the wrath of God. Jesus is in heaven pleading to his Father to be merciful. God's judgment determines our destiny. God will inflict punishment upon the unrepentant. God erases the records of the sins confessed. God keeps records in order to judge and punish. Jesus had a nature just like Adam's. Jesus had a nature just like ours. The Sabbath is an arbitrary test of obedience. The mark of the beast is worshipping on the wrong day. That's just the ones that came off the top of my head. Which one of those do you want to talk about? Yeah.
1: Jesus erases the sins, confess sin. Can we talk about that?
0: Yes. You guys know my thoughts, so let me hear your thoughts. Bible text? Yes.
1: Tim, I think you're also going to have to address that he keeps the sins for the point of judging us, because I think those
0: go into... You mean the records of sins, to punish and judge, yes. See, because if that's what he's doing, then we definitely want them erased, so there won't be any record in order to punish us by, right? What's it say in in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that love keeps... No No (laughs) No record of wrongs. Now God is... Love. So could we say, if God is love, and love keeps no record of wrongs, could we say that God keeps no record of wrongs? Absolutely. We could say that, couldn't we? That wouldn't be an abuse, would it? Unless we say God isn't love, or if we say that love doesn't do those things. Hmm. But yet, the Bible teaches there are records, doesn't it? So then how do we reconcile the idea that there's records in heaven, but God, or love, keeps no record of wrongs? It goes directly to the model of that you look at this whole thing through. And I'm going to tell you, we have been, it says in Isaiah chapter 60, darkness covers the earth, gross darkness, the people. Darkness about what? True. About God. Jesus is the light which lightens all men, and the light shines into the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And you see, we have a, we have a darkness over our mind, I'll tell you what that darkness is. We see our problem as a legal problem with God, who is the arbiter of justice, the heavenly judge, uh, meeting out, uh, judicial punishments throughout the universe. This is how we see it. It's a dark, twisted idea. And so the records in that context become judicial records, like in the police pre- precinct, the record of crimes and the record of punishments. Change the model. Back to the salvation model. Salvation comes from the word salve. Salvo, like salve. ISAV. What's an ISAV do? Heals. Sozo in Greek. You um, should call his name Emmanuel, or for he shall save his people from their sins. Save, sozo means to heal. If you got bit by a rattlesnake and you go to the emergency room and say, Doctor, please save me. Okay, you're forgiven. Go on home. Is that what you want? You want the doctor to forgive you? You want healing. Saving is always healing. So if we move it from the courtroom to the hospital, and now we have records. Do we see those records differently?
1: Yes.
0: What are the records at the hospital for? To punish you by, to embarrass you, to show all your defects and flaws to the world?
1: Yeah. saving
0: Ah, to help you and to heal you. And when do records really ever come into the court of law? When the doctor gets sued, That's when the records come in, isn't it true?
1: comes When the
0: motive of the doctor comes under question, comes under question. Uh, and in this particular case, who's the doctor? Right. God. And when God is a doctor, does God ever practice malpractice? No. Does God ever mess up? No, no He's perfect. Is God ever alleged? To have messed up. Yes. Is God ever alleged to practice malpractice? Yes. yes. And so are there records? Yes, there are. Are the records there for our punishment or are the records there for God's defense?
1: To prove God's righteousness.
0: To prove God's righteousness. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. So, but there are some texts we need to take into account. There's one in Isaiah, there's one in Hebrews, I believe. Yes. Isaiah and Hebrews, where it talks about when you confess your sins, he is faithful to forgive your sins and, and remember them no more. Or throw them as far as the east is from the west and as deep as the sea and, and remember them no more. And uh, these types of texts are often used to talk about erasing, erasing of the records. And he actually says, I will blot out your sins. There he goes, I'll blot out your sins. Remember this, You can. I will blot them out. But it actually doesn't say if you read the text, he blots them out of record books. It doesn't say that. From my heart. Yes, there you go. Where is God working to blot out sin? From books in heaven or hearts, minds, and characters of his people? Where does he want to blot it out of? Isn't it? He wants to blot it out of our hearts? He wants to blot out the fear blot out the selfishness blot out the distortions blot out the lies He wants to restore us back into righteousness so when we confess our sins we're opening our hearts saying Father I'm so sorry I misunderstood I've been in darkness I haven't seen the light I've come to the light now I open my heart to you it says in Romans 5 5. He pours His love into our hearts and He begins blotting out all the fear blotting out all the selfishness blotting out all the insecurity rewriting I will write my law on the tablets of your heart we're renewed we're recreated so yes there's a blotting out But it doesn't blot out the record books. So um, one of the examples I'd like to give you, imagine your child has a cancer, metastatic cancer, all over the child's body, and the doctors have said, terminal, nothing we can do. You hear of a doctor out west that everybody who goes to this doctor leaves with a clean bill of health, everybody, 100%. You, you, you call to see if it's possible to get in and sure enough, you get an appointment you're so excited, you, you fly out you bring with, with you the medical records showing all the disease, the biopsies, the MRIs the scans, the uh, all the lab work showing all the infection, how bad it spread this this cancer and the doctor, you hand him the record, he takes it from you and after he takes it from you, he opens it and he begins removing all the record of disease, sticking in blank white sheets of paper and he says, here, no more record of disease, you all go on home are you happy? he's blotted out the record, hasn't he? But he, hasn't fixed the he hasn't fixed the problem. And this is one of the distortions that Satan gets people to buy into. That Jesus is in heaven blotting out record books. No. But how about you give the record to the doctor and he looks at all the diagnosis and the, and the extent of the, of the cancer and he goes over to your child and he intervenes in the child and puts the cancer into remission. remission. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. See, you want the cancer cells to remit back to their pre-cancerous, healthy state. Without Christ's death, we could not remit back to our perfect, sinless state that God created mankind and Adam to be. And so, the records show our sickness, show how far the the disease is spread into our character and our minds, and then those who come to Christ open the heart, and the records show that the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to recreate and rewrite and renew and regenerate. And the records show the healing method, and the records show now, like King David, he has a new heart and a right spirit. He's been healed in the inner man. The records don't get erased. The records are going to stand for all eternity, showing the goodness of God, the sickness of mankind, his healing interventions in hearts and minds, and that those that are lost are only lost because you will find, over and over and over again, God's agencies offered remedy, offered remedy, offered remedy, offered remedy, and they kept rejecting it, rejecting it, rejecting it, rejecting it, and they're lost, not because God didn't provide a healing solution, but they wouldn't take the healing solution. Is that not right?
1: When I was young, my mother used to tell me that if I didn't confess my sins, it would be written in the sky for everyone to see. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the heavenly sky rider. Wow. Now, I'll tell you how this works. And How many of you have been driving along, and a police officer pulls up behind you and starts following you? And ever have you ever had that happen? Sure. What do you instantly start experiencing?
1: Fear.
0: <laughs> Do you start getting a little nervous? Yeah. And he follows you for not just a block or two, he follows you for several miles. You make several turns, he's still right on your tail everywhere you go. Do you start getting nervous, like maybe I got a taillight out? Is my registration Do you start going through all the things you might? You're watching your speed, and, you, and, you, and you, the pressure and tension start building as he's following you. You got, your, you got the 10 2 position like this. <laughs> okay, isn't that true? Alright, you're just doing everything right, and you're starting to get nervous. What's he looking for? You know, this is how people see God. See, he's following you. He's just waiting for me to mess up. Waiting for me to cross the line. And turn without a signal. Change lanes without a signal. Go five seconds over, five five miles over the speed limit. He's going to get me. He's just waiting to get me. Isn't that how you feel? This is how most people see God. He's just trailing along behind you, waiting for you to mess up. And then he's going to get you. But the good news, this is, and this is how most people present God. But then they present the good news. And here's how they present the good news. The good news is, you've got Jesus in your car. And Jesus is like a a radar jammer, and he jams the radar of the Father so the Father doesn't know how fast you're going. (laughs) (laughs) So you don't have to worry about the Father trailing behind because he can't see you, he can only see his Son who's jamming him. This is exactly how it's presented. Have you not heard it? That when the Father looks at us, He doesn't see us. He sees the robe of His Son's righteousness where the Son stands between us and the Father and the Father doesn't... I mean, you have not heard this? Why do we have to present it like this? Because we have this vision that God is trailing behind us to get us. Rather than, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. one and thus you read in the Scripture, Romans chapter 8, verse 31. If God is for us get that God is for us who can be against us he who did not spare a son but gave him up how will he not also with him give us all things it is God who justifies who is it that condemns Christ Christ Jesus no No, he is at the Father's right hand and is also interceding for us understand the meaning and is also also means what, what does also mean Along with, in addition to, in addition to who? Notice, God is interceding for us, and the Son is also interceding for us. So when you see the Father and the Son and the Spirit trailing behind you, what do you, how should you read that? They're cheering. Cheering? Escort. Escort. They're the, they're the secret service escort of the president, okay, traveling with you everywhere to keep you safe. Oh. Along with the heavenly physician, so if you should fall and stumble, they're there to pick you up instantly and begin providing healing remedy to restore you to health. You should feel secure when you look in their rearview mirror and see the Father trailing along behind you. Father and son, our chemo in for our cancer. Yes, Father and Son are the chemo and radiation, the treatment for our cancer. Yes, they are the treatment. Christ is our remedy. That's exactly right. He's our treatment for the cancer of sin. You got it right. And Absolutely. Jesus says that the Holy, Spirit will
1: take what, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will take what is mine and
0: give it to you. That's right. That's right. The Holy Spirit takes what is Christ and gives it to us, which is his perfect character. Did that answer your question about records? And for clarity purposes, I have to say this. I've learned if I don't say this, that I get all types of emails from around the world and around the country. So I have to say this after all that list I just gave. We could not be saved without the death of Christ. It just wasn't for the reasons typically given. Christ's death was necessary for our salvation. The unrepentant will die a most horrible death in the end, but not at the hands of an angry God. The Sabbath is sacred and holy. It's just not an arbitrary test. Jesus' ministry after his ascension is just as important as his victory here on earth, just not for the reasons typically presented. So I'm not undermining those truths. I'm changing the reasons we give. Because just like the Gnostic people gave, or how they subtly twisted Christ. Yeah, he came. They say, he came. But they changed how he came. Changed everything. These things are true, but the reasons we attach changes everything. And the reasons often given actually make God out to be like Satan would have. You see him. Any other of those anybody wanted to go over? The mark of the beast. The mark of the beast? My statement was the mark of the beast is worshipping on the wrong day. Anybody want to offer a maybe a, a more clarifying statement of what the mark of the beast is?
1: Worshipping the wrong God.
0: Worshipping the wrong God, which is manifested particularly... Anybody want to break it down?
1: The coerce, the methods of
0: the wrong there you go. You see, what does the beast system do? No one can buy or sell save him who has the mark of the beast. Meaning, what methods are being employed by this beast system? Coercive, Coercive power, threat, intimidation, do it or else. However, God's methods are, Ephesians chapter 4, presenting the truth in love. And we leave people. Free. Free. And what makes the Sabbath so holy is in the context of its creation at the end of creation week. What was going on in the universe? War. War over God's right to rule. God just ends up making this wonderful creation here on planet Earth, an incredible display of power. Did he use power to threaten and coerce his intelligent creatures to follow him? Or did he say, I rest my case? Consider it for yourself. The Sabbath comes into existence, demonstrating that God withdraws the use of force and coercion. He presents truth in love leaves people free. The fact the Sabbath exists is a weekly guarantee and promise. God will not use His power to coerce you. It's holy because it's truth, presented in love, leaving people free, which is the character of God Himself. That's how He works. So each week we rejoice in the freedoms that we have in Christ Jesus. That is the seal of God. When we are so settled into the truth about him, both intellectually and spiritually, we cannot be moved, and we practice his methods, truth, love, freedom. But the beast system can be religious, and it is religious, but it is, do it my way, or else no one can buy or sell. We will We will get control of government. We will sanction you at first, and if you don't comply and after the sanctions, then we'll send in military force to force you to do it our way. That is the beast system. And it might revolve around a particular day of the week. It could. But it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. It just has to practice the methods. The 7th day Avenue should elect all the representatives of Congress for per se, and we passed laws that everyone must worship from sunset Friday to sunset saturday and if you can't if you don't that you can't buy or sell you have no job, you will go to jail and ultimately say face the death penalty for not worshiping on Saturday what have we just done the mark of the beast remember those who put Christ on the cross wanted him down by sunset so they could go home and Keep the Sabbath of the God that they just killed. It is more than which day of the week it is. It is what the day of the week symbolizes and the meanings attached, which are God's character of truth, love, and freedom that is to be written on our hearts that we live those same principles. And then we appreciate the day that symbolizes all those things and and was created. And by the way, is it self-evidence? Understand, there wouldn't be a weekly Sabbath if God was like Satan says he is. The fact that there's a weekly Sabbath proves Satan's a liar. Do you understand that? Does anybody get their mind around that? Think it through. If God was like Satan says, would he have given a weekly Sabbath or would he have just forced people in line? The fact that there is a weekly Sabbath, its very existence proves Satan is a liar. That's why he hates it. He doesn't want people to see it or appreciate it because it exposes him as a liar and fraud. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are exactly as Jesus revealed him to be. And it is true, Father, in so many ways our minds have been darkened, but you have shown the light, and we pray that the, that the veil that has covered our minds from seeing you clearly will be removed, that we can see the true nature of your kingdom, that your kingdom of love will come on earth, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen.